The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What's up, everybody? Thanks again for checking out The Way BK podcast. Uh, Caleb and I today are going to be looking in Luke chapters 22 and 23, and we're going to be talking about what does the cross mean. And uh, before we get started, we'd just like to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Uh, you can also find these recordings posted on our website, thewaybk.com, and you can find uh, these and other similar resources on um, our Facebook page, The Way BK. And also, of course, we got the YouTube channel where we try to put up video content where we teach on various things. We'll also add this. If you're in Brooklyn or if you know people in Brooklyn, uh, in two weeks, July 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, we're going to be having sort of a special um, youth outreach um, where we're going to be doing, we're calling it Jesus Story Time. Some of the ladies in the church have really been doing a lot to make this stuff uh, work in the church that we're a part of. And uh, there's going to be teaching on the life of Jesus, who he is, what he's about. All ages are welcome. Uh, caretakers are encouraged to be there and to be involved. Uh, I don't know if there's anything we need to add on that as far as let people know what it's about. Located in Bed-Stuy. That's right, yeah, 41 Putnam Ave. You can find more info on our website, um, thewaybk.com. You can find info on the Facebook page, The Way BK, and also on our uh, meetup group, Brooklyn Bible Studies. Uh, there's info there. And, of course, you can message us and ask us, uh, and also, even if you don't live in Brooklyn, you know, share the word. Get online, um, share it so that more people can know about it. We want to help kids, help families know about Jesus uh, so that they can learn to serve Him and grow up in Him. So with that, we're talking about today the most crucial moment in the story of Jesus, and that is Jesus' uh, death on the cross. All of history led up to this. All of history is defined by this. Every human life will be measured by the cross forever. Uh, so what we've done is we both kind of come up with a list of what does the cross mean? Because a lot of people know about the cross. A lot of people wear crosses, tattoo themselves with crosses. But probably a lot of people, even who vaguely know the event, they don't actually know the significance of it or what it means. And there's some stuff here in uh, Luke 22 and 23 that helps with that. So what you got, Caleb? Well, so yeah, there's a lot of different things that Luke stresses and emphasizes in this gospel about the story of the cross and things we learn from it. First thing that stood out to me, though, um, as I was reading these chapters was uh, that the cross means that people are more wicked than we'd like to believe or imagine that we are. Um, and I, I, I noticed that in, in, in two ways in this story. First, um, I noticed that in just the characters of the sto in, of the story leading up to the crucifixion. So from as far back as the time of the, the Lord's Supper, while Jesus is teaching them about how he's about to suffer and die, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest um, and which one of them is going to be, uh, you know, sitting next to Jesus, you know, uh, on top of the kingdom. Um you're talking about in chapter in chapter twenty two, beginning in verse twenty four, um, and so so you see this. But then right after that, Jesus tells the disciples, "Hey, actually, um, and specifically, he calls out Peter in verse thirty one to thirty four and says, "Hey, you know, you're going to." 
deny me. And of course, Peter says, no, I'm ready to go with you to both to prison and to death. Um, but when it comes time for Peter to pray with Jesus and the disciples to pray with Jesus, they're, instead of praying, they're sleeping. Um, and then when it comes time to fight, uh, you know, they pick up the swords and they're ready to fight. But as soon as Jesus teaches, opens their eyes to see, hey, you can't fight this way, then they all abandon him. And the closest to, they are following at a distance, you know, yeah. they're, they're nowhere. So it's, it's and shocking. these are the guys who are like closest to him. Yeah, these are Jesus' closest followers, the ones who spent three years following him around, walking with him. And when, when life gets hard, they just abandon him. You also see that, though, with, the, with Judas, who betrays Jesus and... Uh, and betrays him with a kiss. Here's a guy, somebody sitting at his table as Jesus is serving him, and he gets up and he goes out and betrays him with a kiss for just a little bit of money. You see it with the chief priests and the elders and the scribes who are uh, who are coming out with swords and clubs um, to get to get uh, to get Jesus. And uh, and in verse 53, Jesus says to them, uh, I was in the temple day after day. Why didn't you lay hands on me there? And then he says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So even the religious people here have, have, have been exposed by this story as being corrupt and wicked and full of sin. Um, and so, you know, I think about it in that sense, you, the cross just shows just how wicked the people have become, how fickle the people were, many of whom were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a week later, are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. This is the very people who, who should have been coronating him as king, um, have abandoned him. Um, but then just think about, too, just the fact that Jesus has to die on a cross shows just how wicked we are. If it took God sending his ver- His own son, um, and that's the only punishment sufficient to be able to uh, deal with this problem of sin, it just shows just how wicked man- mankind has become. And I-, I felt like that was really something that Luke is stressing and emphasizing in this in this story. Even the even the political leaders, no surprise, are uh, are 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 anything but just and right in this story it's like every character outside of jesus in luke 22 and 23 seems to be an embarrassment and uh and 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 guilty of of sin yeah i don't know like i was trying to think i should have been writing this down as you were talking but like so we've got self-centeredness and self-exaltation at the table with the disciples we've got uh betrayal by the disciples most notably Judas and Peter in uh, in the story, but really mm-hmm. all of them kind of betray Jesus in a way. Uh, I guess injustice, the trial wasn't a real trial, at least yeah. on the council. You got cowardice with Pilate. You've got just like the degradation of human life with Herod because he just, Herod wasn't trying to like figure out was right or wrong. He just was glad Jesus showed up, you know, so he's degrading mm-hmm. a human being. And then as you're pointing out, just the fact that Jesus even died. I mean, those are just like a few of the sins that you just listed off. Yep. And what's convicting is like that's those are all sins that uh, I can either look in my history book or in the mirror and yeah. see some problems there and uh, some at least some some temptations if not some outright sins that are being committed there. Because all of us want to say, you know, if I was there, right, that wouldn't have been right. Me. Exactly, you know, I would have been by Jesus' side. Um, but if we do look in our own history book and we look back at the story of our life, we know that's not true. Like yeah. we 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 have been. We have followed in the same uh, footsteps of uh, of 
of our father Adam in choosing to turn away from God and to do what we wanted to do in rebelling against the Lord. No doubt, no doubt. All right, so mine's sort of like the inverse, uh, or it's not really the inverse, it's just like kind of uh, different but similar. So the first thing that I uh, noted that this story teaches us is that being innocent before God makes you a criminal in the eyes of the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, it's, it's been interesting to me in chapter 22, whenever Jesus is talking to them, and they didn't really understand what he was saying, but he it talks about a sword and a bag and all this. But in verse 37, he says, in other words, he's telling them, you need to prepare. People are going to be opposed to you. They're going to be helping you out. You better take money, and you're not going to be protected by people. That's why he says a sword, although pretty soon he shows them. Actually, I don't want you to, I was saying that more metaphorically, not like literally I want you to kill people with swords. But in verse 37, the reason he gives for this, he says for uh, 2237, for I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. Mm-hmm. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. To me, this kind of seems like a non sequitur quotation, except I think, and you could correct me, you might have a different take on this, but I think what he's saying is, I'm numbered with transgressors, or in other words, criminals. And if you are numbered with me, then you also are criminals. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, anybody, like I am a criminal in the eyes of the world. I mean, that's what the cross was for criminals. Jesus was literally crucified next to two criminals. Um, and therefore, if you're with Jesus, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be a criminal in the eyes of the world. Yep. Um, but you could be innocent before God because the big emphasis in chapter 23 on how people saw Jesus is they saw him as innocent. 23.4, Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. If you go down a little bit further, Herod could find no guilt, so he sends uh, Pilate back. And then uh, in verse well, verse 15 it says, uh, No, nor has Herod found any guilt, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Right. The people still want him killed. And so then uh, again in verse 22, a third time, Pilate said, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Then when Jesus is on the cross, he's got one thief who's mocking him along with the crowds, which that guy's an idiot because he's getting killed. And that's actually what the other <laughs> yeah. guy says. He's like, what's yeah. wrong with you, man? In verse 40 of chapter 23, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Mm. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And the last time where a human being, at least, acknowledges Jesus' innocence is with the centurion, which is interesting because, if I recall correctly, Matthew and Mark both record the man that when he said, the centurion who was observing and overseeing the crucifixion, he says, surely this was the Son of God or a right. Son of the gods. I'm not sure if he truly believed in the real God of heaven. But, but here Luke records something else that he said as he observed what was happening. He began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent or righteous. That's right. So there's a lot of emphasis on even the people of the world are acknowledging Jesus was actually innocent, and yet he was counted as a criminal. Um, I don't know what, what more to say about that, other than that's powerful that Jesus, one, was willing to take on the status of a criminal in order to liberate us who are so wicked. Yeah. He was willing. To, he was completely innocent before God, and I think that's the whole bit about the sun being darkened, the veil of the temple being, all that stuff is God. That was God's way of saying innocent right here. This one is innocent. 
And all these human beings are acknowledging that he's innocent. And yet he was counted as a criminal. Right. And so I think that's powerful to see him being willing to be counted as a criminal, even though to be numbered with us, the criminals, the transgressors, um, even though he was innocent. And isn't that what, uh, what was, what Jesus quoted to them, the stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Peter takes that and says, Hey, you're coming to him as living stones. You're coming to the living stone, choice and precious in the sight of God, that is innocent in the sight mm-hmm. of God, but rejected by men. It, to, the, to the world, those who are going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus are going, to, are going to experience the same fate. We're going to see that in the book of Acts, right? I mean, that's where we're headed. A disciple is not above his teacher, but when he's fully trained, he becomes like his teacher. So if Jesus, the perfectly innocent one, was considered to be wicked and considered to be a criminal, then what should we expect? If we're going to follow in his footsteps, we should expect the same. Amen. Amen. All right, what else you got? Well, so another thing that really, really impacted me as I was reading this was uh, just the emphasis on this being uh, the, the cross anticipates the great deliverance of God. Um, you remember that in the beginning of chapter 22, there's a huge emphasis on the Passover as Jesus is eating the Passover with his disciples. And, uh, and uh, there's a lot of, lot of attention given to that, that this is the time of Passover. They come together and they eat the feast. Um, and it's interesting to me what Jesus says when he's reclining with them at the table. He said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Which, that's kind of a strange thing to think about. Um, Jesus seems to be uh, saying that this Passover is going to be fulfilled in the future in the kingdom Mm -hmm. of God. Um, And I I was just thinking about that a little bit. Um, Certainly the, the story of the Passover goes all the way back to the Exodus, right? where God was delivering his people out of Egypt. And one of the plagues was going to be that God was going to destroy the firstborn son of every, every uh, Egyptian family. And the way that the Israelites would be spared is they would kill a lamb, they would eat it, they would eat this meal, and they would take the blood from the lamb and they would put it on the door of their house. And when the angel of death passed over, he would see that blood and he would pass over their house and spare their families. I mean, every year God had them take this Passover meal to celebrate that great deliverance. But then it's interesting that Jesus is actually eating with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He's eating again this Passover meal. No mention of a lamb, which is interesting, um, but he's eating the meal with them and he actually tells them, hey, this is my body, which is broken for you. This bread, which we're eating, is my body, which is broken for you in this cup. Um, is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus seems to be saying here that there's kind of a new Passover happening. Um, But it's interesting too, certainly Paul will tell us later that Christ is our Passover lamb. um, And so this is the great deliverance that has been anticipated from the beginning of time. God is finally bringing this great deliverance through which he's going to save not just the Jewish people, not just the Israelites, but he's going to save the entire world, all who will call on him in faith. Um, 
But uh, I'm still kind of struck by, and I've been thinking a little bit about this phrase, you will, you will, uh, I will not eat it with you until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Um, there's an interesting phrase in Revelation 5 where, um, where the, uh, John sees the throne and he sees the lamb standing as if slain. Um, and, uh, and, and in chapter, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, um, there, he sees these 24 elders singing a, a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book? And to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God, and with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Uh, you have made them to be a kingdom and a pr- and priests to our God, and they're going to reign upon the earth. It's interesting. John seems to say that actually, what makes Jesus worthy is that he was slain, so that God could create this kingdom made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. Which, after all. Wasn't that the promise to Abraham, that in you all the families of the earth would be blessed? And and that's kind of what we're seeing here, is that this Passover meal and this death on the cross, Jesus is being slain, but he's being slain as a ransom to to buy back his people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And, and, And this kind of points us ahead to when this Passover will ultimately be fulfilled, um, is is when God delivers all of his people and brings them all back to him and and they're able to enjoy this relationship with him so yeah well and and two things I think about that one is this is something that's kind of been uh, the seeds of this have been sown a little bit earlier in uh, in the Gospel of Luke even mm-hmm. the sort of Exodus idea right um, like in chapter 9. And uh, I was trying to find the verse a minute ago. Oh, uh, here it is. Uh, in 31, 931, where Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, is what That's I right. think most translations say. But the word there is the same word that would be translated as the Exodus. Right. So Luke was even back then, where this is right after the first time Jesus says in the story, I'm going to die. Right. The first way, the first, uh, I guess, narrative framework Luke gives for that is Jesus' death is going to be like the Exodus. That's how Jesus thought about it, at least. Right. Therefore, that's what it was. And as you pointed out, like, Revelation has a lot of those overtones of liberation language, Exodus language. Paul talks about it as the Passover. Um, so this is a pretty important, in other words, if we want to understand the cross, we need to read Exodus 1 through 19 pretty thoroughly to right. get a good understanding of it. And what's amazing to me about this is that this is a different kind of exodus in right, the sense right. that, you know, for, for the Israelites to leave Egypt, God was bringing judgment on the Egyptians, their oppressors. For us to be, we were the oppressors. You know, that's the story. Like, we are the oppressors. We're the ones who should be getting the judgment inflicted upon us. But actually what God does is God says, no, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to inflict my judgment upon him. He's going to be the Passover lamb who takes the punishment, who takes the uh, who who is who is slaughtered, so that my people can be ransomed and brought back to me. So this is even a totally new kind of deliverance. What God is doing here, and of course, so much greater because of that, because He's instead of judging us and destroying us for our own sins, He is freeing us from our sins and giving us an opportunity to become part of His kingdom through the blood of Jesus. Yeah, which is why whenever you read in the like the letters of Paul, 
I'm thinking about passages like Second Corinthians two. He always leads us in triumphal procession, or yep. Colossians one. You know, Jesus made a public display of the authorities and powers and in the cross, mm-hmm. and now he leads us in victory and all that kind of stuff. Like that kind of language is king off this idea that we're no longer part of that old army, the evil one's army of oppression. We're part of the army of the lamb. Mm-hmm. So another thing that's interesting to me too about this, uh, as you were talking, like whenever you read the book of Exodus, the, the Passover and the Exodus are just really powerful. Like the angel of death is sweeping through, mowing people down. Um, the, the Israelites march out and like the Egyptians are throwing money at them. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the sea and they like walk through the sea. And I know there's little times where they're scared and all that. But ultimately it's this just like every single moment is they crush, they crush, they crush. This Passover, like you said, there's kind of a new Passover. And even in the actual enactment of it, uh, the, the victorious thing that happens is that Jesus himself is crushed is defeated, for our yeah. iniquities. Like he, he's, uh, he appears defeated exactly yeah. in order to bring this victory for the people of God, which is really powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Cool. What was your second All right, question? so um, let's see what I have here. Okay, so Jesus talks about his cross back in Luke 9, and then he said, hey, if you want to be a disciple, you have to take the cross daily. So when I read these passages in, in all the gospel narratives about Jesus' death, Obviously, the first and most important thing is to think about what Jesus has done for us, but it also makes me think about how is this how does this provide a framework and a context for the way my life is going to go. Um, and one thing is, I look at the way people interacted with Jesus, the way Jesus interacted with people, what he did. This teaches me that following Jesus is simple, but it is not easy. Mm-hmm. Like what Jesus did was pretty simple, like kind of nothing. He was just there. He got betrayed. He got lied about, um, he got beat up, and he got crucified. And he didn't really do anything. I mean, it's almost like when you read this, it's almost like Jesus is just a bystander. Even though it's not true, we see Mm -hmm. in various ways Jesus is the one orchestrating this whole thing. He's the one in control. He planned this thing out with the Father and through the Spirit and all that stuff. Um, But it was just it's just really simple. Like it's a simple story, it's simple events that happened, but it was excruciating for him. In the garden, he's begging the Father. And I have a hard time, I don't know, you may have a thought on this. I have a hard time knowing, like, was Jesus praying actually thinking there was a way out? Or was it just an expression of his desire, almost like when we know something bad is going to happen and we just say, oh, man, I wish it wouldn't. I don't know mm-hmm. how to read the, the garden prayers. But whatever it was, like, he, he definitely didn't want to go to the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in agony when he's on the cross. He's being betrayed by your friends is always painful. It doesn't matter. Like it's, it's always terrible. So it wasn't easy, but it's simple. And I just think that's the way it goes with being a disciple. Generally, it's pretty simple. Like you obey Jesus. You love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like being a Christian is not complicated, but it is terribly challenging right. every day, every moment of every day. And that shouldn't be surprising because the one we're following, what he did for us, was pretty simple, but it was not easy. So that's something I get out of this. Right. Which is kind of similar to my last uh, thing I had written down here, which is really that this the cross shows us, what the cross means is it shows us that this kingdom of God that Luke's been talking about all throughout this book, this kingdom is a kingdom unlike any other. Like what, and in every way. Like I, I was really struck by this as I was reading the interaction between uh, Jesus and the disciples when they come to arrest Jesus. You know, 
here's here's a king, but he's not carrying a sword. Right. Um, you know, and and then his disciples uh, pick up swords to uh, to attack his enemies and destroy them. And Jesus actually, instead of encouraging them to hurt his enemies, actually rebukes them for it. Um, and then heals his enemies, like right, right, uh, right, like right. turns around and puts the guy's ear back on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and 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 then you've got you've got uh, this king who is who is not fighting. He's not reviling Judas as Judas is coming. He convicts him of sin, but lovingly says, "Would you betray me with a kiss?" Um, you know, he he convicts the priests of sin as he says, "The power of darkness is is upon you." But he 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 refuses to attack them. Or to malign them, or to uh, just annihilate them. You he know? won't even talk. Right. Like when he's on trial, like he will not speak unless spoken to, and even then, it's barely even a response. And and the only response he gave was to initiate their killing of him. Exactly. Exactly. And to, and so so this just this whole story just shows us this is not the kind of story a man event invents. This is not the kind. This is not the kind of kingdom we like to think about in the movies uh you know or we like to think about the way kingdoms should work um jesus is a totally different he's a crucified king Mm -hmm. he's a king headed to the cross and i think that's significant because and this touches on what you were saying a moment ago um it tells us that really my understanding of what it means to follow this king it's going to have to be changed. It's yeah. going to have to be... I'm going to have to be willing to submit to a king who is not going to do things the way I would expect. And, of course, it's interesting to me that as soon as uh, as soon as soon the people show up, Peter's ready to fight. You know, people are... They're pulling out the swords. They're ready to go. But as soon as they find out this is not how Jesus wants them to fight... It's not what I expected. Right. They, they're gone. Yeah. They abandon him. And I think about how often have I been that way? You know, as long as Jesus will be this kind of king, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'm right there with you, uh, uh, you know. But we try to mold the kingdom of God into what we want it to be rather than letting God mold us into the kind of citizens that he wants us to be. And, and I think this story shows me that if I'm going to follow the king, I'm going to have to take up my cross. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to die to self Mm -hmm. and all of my desires for how, what it means to be a citizen and what it means to fight in this kingdom. All of that is going to have to be removed and I'm going to have to let Jesus teach me how to become a soldier, how to become a citizen, how to live as a, as, as a, uh, a resident in his eternal kingdom. Yeah. Which I'm thinking about, you may want to add this list. I'm thinking of at least two practical things that what you just, this point you just brought out, uh, should lead us to. Number one, I better be spending a lot of time in this book that Jesus' apostles recorded, what he said, what he wanted, his values, his perspectives. If I'm not reading scripture, I'm never going to even know what the king wants. And I'm just going to guess based on a vague idea of whatever. That's right. So that's number one. Like I got to spend a lot more time in this book. But number two, I think on a practical level, whenever I come across something in the book and I say the words, I don't think that's right, or that doesn't make sense, or I don't like that, those should be like triggers for me to actually obey whatever right. I just read. Like, that should be because actually if I don't get it or I don't think that's right or that doesn't make sense to me, it probably means that I'm properly understanding what's there. Because mm-hmm. usually, at least all of us probably, and we've experienced ourselves or others who have said that, 
And the conclusion is, I don't think that's right. So it must mean something different. It must mean blah, blah, blah. You know, right. and, and you make up something to kind of twist what it says to fit in with your worldview. Right. But actually, it should be the opposite. If I come across something that I say, I don't think that's right. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that. That probably means I'm understanding exactly what it says. Right. And I need to just go ahead and do it. You may want to add to that list or well, expand on that some more, but that, those are some things I think about this idea of the kingdom is not what we'd expect. There, those are a couple of practical things we need and to do. And I should expect that to happen. I should expect Jesus to be calling me to do things that the world, the culture that I'm in, looks at and says, that's crazy. Right. Um, the, 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 Jesus is going to be asking me to do that. And, of course, we've seen all throughout history, we've seen Christians um, you know, miss this, right? I mean, Christians who've taken up swords and try to fight with, but sometimes Force people not, become yeah, Christians with a sword. That's right. Or, or, or maybe I would never actually take up a real sword, but we use our words as swords and sure. we try to, we try to, uh, punish people or abuse people. I mean, Christians have done that. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we're guilty of, of, of doing the very same things that we see this, the disciples falling into here. And so this should be a sobering moment for me as I see the disciples struggling to follow the king after spending three years with them. I need to ask myself, like, do I really know this king? Do I really, do I really know what kind of kingdom this is? And how diligently am I striving to actually obey Jesus in the ways that are hard for me? Yeah. You know, it doesn't really say anything about me if uh, if Jesus says, um, "Hey, love love your neighbor," and I already want to love my neighbor, like it does, right. it's it's not there's no challenge in that obeying the king in that. But the real question is, will I honor the king and submit to the king when what the king says about how I should live or how I should talk or how I should walk or how how I should do things when that's very different from what I believe about uh, how I should walk or or talk or do things? Um, will I still submit to him as king and submit to him as lord? And so much that, I mean, if, you, if you're listening and you want a starting point to start learning about the values of the king and the kingdom, just go back to Luke chapter 1 and start reading. Yeah. And what you're going to find is teaching about marriage that you right. may not like, that may actually confront some sin you've been committing in your life. You're going to find teaching about relational conflict and forgiveness and patience and stuff like that. You're going to find teaching about money and how you should view money and right. not view money. Right. Um, you're going to find teaching about sexuality more broadly, even outside of marriage. I mean, there's... I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what other kinds of things that are just real. Oh, how you, how you treat the poor and the marginalized. And right. so many things that are going to confront the way we think about the world. That's right. That's right. All right, here's my last one. Um, Jesus loves us. Like, I'm just... Um, so he's walking on his way to his death. And there's a group of women who are crying for him. And Jesus um, doesn't just stop and honor that which would be something because i mean he's about to take on all the sins of the world he's been beaten to a pulp at this point and he's carrying it across and he was too weak to even carry it by himself they had to get somebody else to do it with him but he doesn't just stop and acknowledge these women he doesn't stop and thank them he says in verse 28 daughters of jerusalem stop weeping for me but weep for yourselves and for your children Later on, when he's on the cross and people are mocking him and rejecting him and doing all sorts of stuff, Jesus was saying, as I understand it, that meant it was a repetitive, it wasn't like a one-time statement, but he was repeatedly saying on the cross where you couldn't say anything because you could hardly breathe on a cross. And he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
which I don't even know how that's something he could utter in truth. And I know what he means is like he didn't, we didn't understand who he was and the significance of this, and people didn't. I get that, but it's amazing that he could say those words because they knew exactly what they were. They did know they were lying about somebody. They did know they were killing an innocent man. They did know they were mocking and ridiculing somebody who was dying. Mm-hmm. And yet he still says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then when he's on that cross, he looks over at this criminal, a man who had done things that were so bad it was worthy of this public, shameful, excruciating execution. And that man says in verse um, 42, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me. In paradise. Um, and when you read this, it makes passages like Romans chapter 5 make a lot of sense. Mm. Because when you read in Romans 5 where the Apostle Paul says, hey, maybe for a righteous person some would die, and for a good man someone would dare to die. But Jesus died for us when we were sinners, when we were his enemies, whenever we were ungodly, whenever we were worthless. He died for us then, and that's the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you can see that whenever you read this story. And if I walk away from this story not seeing the love of Jesus, then I have not seen the cross yet. That's right. I just haven't seen it yet. And even if you're listening to this and you don't even believe in all the, you know, as you might think, miracle, hocus pocus, or Jesus and God stuff and eternity and heaven and hell, and you think all that's messed up, at least see the love of God. See the love of this man. In the cross, yeah. And if that doesn't do something to you, then you need to go to it again, and yeah. you need to keep going to it until you see it for what it is. Um, just in the incredible love that's shown here. I wish we didn't plan it this way, but that's really—I mean, we come full circle here. Um, we started talking about the cross shows us that we're more sinful than we'd ever like to admit, um, but the cross also shows us that we're more deeply loved than we'd ever thought could be possible mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the beauty of the cross what that should produce in us is uh, a desire to love God in return and a desire to be pleasing to him to, to take up our cross and follow in his footsteps to love others the same way that he's loved us um, but you're exactly right I mean at the heart of this story is is the deep love of the father and the love of the son that he would die for me and if we can learn to trust in that love, then that's the thing that will fuel our lives and will allow us to live in his kingdom that's upside down and weird to us. And it will empower us to obey him and follow him wherever he leads us, even when it's that's right not easy. And it's the thing that, I mean, all this stuff. And, and that's why in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, in verse 35, the Spirit says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ, the love of Christ demonstrated in the cross? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as written, we may feel like this. For your sake, we are being we're getting killed. We're being put to death all day long. We're like sheep that are slaughtered. But in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.
Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're going to continue this next time, but for now, we hope you'll uh, we hope you'll open up the Gospel of Luke. If you're just joining us, this is a phenomenal book. Uh, all books of the Bible are, but especially this one because it tells us the story of Jesus. And all the stuff we've talked about today, in some ways, is the climax of a story that's been building all throughout. So go back and read this thing. And if you're seeking God, if you're thinking about being a disciple and you need some help figuring that out, reach out to us. Please don't just listen to this and then end it and stay on your own. Uh, especially if you're in Brooklyn, but really if you're anywhere, we can try to help you out and do whatever we can for you. But especially if you're here in Brooklyn, uh, we're here to help you. We're here to show you the way of Jesus so that you can follow him and uh, be saved by his love for you. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.